0: welcome to this week's episode of the weekly this pastor's Talk Back edition the week of may the third um aaron how are you today man i'm i'm doing great how about you yeah i'm good i'm i'm enjoying the uh i'm enjoying our, a nice little new chair we have set up in our family office library section of our house and yeah just enjoying this lovely a little bit chilly morning
1: yeah it was it was nice to wake up and have it be a little bit cool
0: yeah um so surprise question for you of all of the things that are out to get you now um coronavirus uh, tornadoes and murder hornets which are you most afraid of (laughs)
1: <laughs> I did see something about the murder hornets yesterday. That, that, is, that is funny. Um, honestly, the thing that has probably scared, scared me the most is waking up the other night. It wasn't even one of the tornado nights. It was just a severe thunderstorm, but waking up and just boom, the house was kind of booming. The, all the trees are swaying. Uh, we have this ginormous tree in our front yard that has got to be the biggest in our neighborhood. And so I'm just terrified of it probably falling over at some point um so I'm just watching that um so yeah that was and that was at like 3:30 in the morning so my mind you know not all all together with it at that point
0: yeah 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 um interesting times yeah the the murder hornets has been a, a um kind of a, a funny meme to observe um seeing the way that the internet has reacted to that um yeah so um, I don't think we have any uh, imminent threat of being attacked by murder hornets, listener. So hopefully uh, you understand that we are just speaking in jest. Um, yeah, so we had a couple of questions that were sent our way. Um, two really thoughtful questions. And I think what makes them so thoughtful and kind of encouraging for us as pastors is I think both of these questions demonstrate a familiarity with the Bible and a desire to want to see how the Bible fits together. Uh, see kind of how the Bible presents a coherent picture on these two issues. Um, One is related to the passage this week, uh, this past week, rather, Psalm 122. And the other is related to Psalm 121. Um, So let's start with the question related to Psalm 121. Um, The questioner asks, even though God never sleeps nor slumbers, does he still rest like he did after creation? What does that look like? So what do you think, Aaron?
1: Yeah, that's. It, I thought I thought it was a great question um, because Psalm one twenty one is clear. You know, God doesn't sleep or slumber. You know, I tried to make it clear that God is our um, God's help. You know, it doesn't waver. It doesn't stop. It's it's always there. He's always taking care of it. Um, I loved Bryce when we were talking about this passage um, a couple weeks back. Talked about you know when we're sleeping here in the U.S. It's it's a bright sunshiny day in, you know, India or, or, you know, Africa or Australia or wherever. And, and God's, you know, doing work there while we're sleeping here. And he's doing work here while we are also sleeping. Um, the kind of the sun never sets on God's kingdom and empire. Um, so he's, he's kind of clearly still, still working. Um, but yeah, there's something to trying to think through. What does that rest look like? Um, Maybe it'd be, it'd be helpful just to read um, Genesis uh, Genesis 2, um, verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So this, this rest does seem to be a ceasing from creating. Um, he's done all of all of his creation work in Genesis one. And then we get to this, this seventh day and he, he rests. He has ceased from, from working. Um, but I think this, this doesn't mean that he's ceased from kind of anything and everything. Kind of like what we might do, just kind of relax and put our feet up on the couch and kind of do nothing for a little bit of time.
0: Or the it seems to later. be that,
1: or, or, a yeah, chase, I guess. I don't know how you say it all fancy. um but he um continues to he or he he starts to kind of his rule over that creation at at that point um so yeah what do you what do you think
0: yeah um that's helpful to start there i mean it is important to to say that um the 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 rest that's envisioned there in genesis chapter 2 verse 1 is not um like you said, it's not him ceasing from all activity because if he did, you know who would feed who would clothe the lilies and feed the sparrows um and feed the birds of the air? you know who would uh who would keep you know the protons and electrons swirling and uh, you know keep everything from dissolving into oblivion? you know that's god God is the one who's behind all of that um, you know the theological way to speak of that is God's providence over creation um, so it doesn't mean that God stops doing things. Um, I think the best reading you know, like you said, is that God has ceased from the work of creation and, and sort of like takes up residence and um, on His throne, you know, of overseeing it all and beginning His rule. An analogy that I've heard before um, is like a a president who's doing the work of campaigning, and then after he's elected, and he um, he can cease the work of campaigning and can begin the work of a, a different kind of work of governing or, or, or ruling. Um, and so we'd say that the Genesis two uh, chapter one wasn't just describing a one-off. I think, I think it's describing kind of what God has been doing since he ceased the work of um, creation that he's, he's resting in the sense that he is resting on his throne, um, kind of taking up his, his mantle of, of ruler. Um mm. And I think of um, I think of a passage that's um, similar to the Psalm one twenty one passage um, in John chapter five. Jesus gets into trouble for um, healing a man on the Sabbath, and when the religious leaders come to Jesus, um, John five sixteen, this is why they were, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He's healing on the Sabbath, and Jesus answers. My Father is working until now, and I am working. So Jesus says, um, in the Sabbath, the, we, we cease from activity. Uh, the, the Father is still at work. Um, in, in the sense of He's still upholding all things, and He's still, like, while you're sleeping at night, Aaron, the Father is still keeping that ginormous tree from collapsing in on your house, even as you sleep. Um, I think that's kind of what Jesus is saying, is the... That their their work is a different kind of work that actually allows us to Sabbath. Uh, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really that's really helpful.
1: I was thinking of Isaiah uh, chapter forty, verse uh, twenty eight. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the Creator of the ends of the earth. Again, that's the creation narrative, both in Genesis one and Psalm one twenty one. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding. Is unsearchable so he does he does not faint or grow weary so he so he doesn't Sabbath because he's you know kind of tired or needs um, needs kind of a break like we might need from any really any work that Mm. we would do Um, so it seems to be that he ceased from creation but then he he immediately is starting to to rule and to reign over all things um, Mm. over everything that he has he has created
0: Mm. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, if you think about the, what's the Sabbath for? Um, if you think about the, the nation of Israel being commanded to cease work on the seventh day, um, what is that for ultimately? And I think we'd say like on one hand, I mean, and Jesus teaches us this, that the Sabbath is for man. Um it's for rest. It's, um, it's helpful to have a day where we can just not work. We can relax and, um, you know, cease harvesting and gathering and building and and that kind of thing. Um, so it's to provide rest, but, but it's also to teach us that we are not our provider. We are not the one who sustains us. We are not the one who provides us manna in the wilderness. Um, it's, it's God. He is the one who cares for us and meets all of our needs. And so um, the, the picture of a God who doesn't rest is, is the thing that, that, the picture of a God who doesn't rest in, in that sense um, is, a, is a God who enables us to rest. Um, and I think that's a, just a, a beautiful it's beautiful imagery from both the Old and New Testament that God is at work so that we don't have to be. Hmm. Any other thoughts on that? That's no, really good.
1: No, I, I liked, uh, before we got on here, you mentioned, you know, just imagining jumping into, you know, 1000 BC, essentially when, when David would have been living in Jerusalem and seeing the Sabbath take place and you were an outsider. It would, be, it would be interesting to think about what conclusions that you would come from, um, you would come to. You know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: Why are these people stopping doing all the things that really they need to do to have food and to um, produce things, sell things, um, you know, make money? Um, but they're really going to show that, that God God's rule is, is really a source of, of rest um, for them, which I think is, is really helpful. And then there is, there is something to God kind of setting the precedent there mm-hmm. for, uh, the fourth, for the fourth commandment. You know, keep, keep the Sabbath day um, because, it is, because it is holy. And it kind of sets that premise in Genesis 1 and 2.
0: Yeah, that's good. Kind of, and you use the example of Jesus' baptism, which is a pretty big question in itself. But we can at least say in some respects Jesus is baptized, um, you know, at the very least to be an example for us. Um, for our baptism, and so God God rests on the seventh day to set a pattern for us to to kind of kickstart that pattern for us to observe and mm. reflect. That's good. Yeah, that's that's really good. That's an excellent question, and if you have any further questions on that, um, you know, please reach back out to us. The second question is also a really good question, and and again shows someone who's thinking about the Bible and wanting to take the Bible as a coherent whole. Um, So they asked, what's the difference between God dwelling with his people, like in the New Jerusalem, and God dwelling in us now through the Holy Spirit? So the the sermon on Psalm 122, I taught on um, the final destination for uh, the church, for God's people is the heavenly city, Jerusalem descending and, kind of renovating everything at the center of the new heavens and the new earth is a new Jerusalem, this city where there's no temple um, because God there, God uh, God is there. He's dwelling in the fullness of his presence with his people. And so the question is like, what's the the difference between that where we're headed and then what we get to experience now with the Holy spirit indwelling us. You know, Paul teaches in first Corinthians, um, uh, chapter six. Do you not know that your 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 body is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? Um, uh, Peter uses similar language when he talks about us being built into uh, being built into a temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, there, there's a sense in which we are the temple now as the church. Um, so, how does that differ from where we're headed ultimately?
1: Hmm. What would you say to that initially? Yeah, I uh, I think you know a, bi- a big aspect that we know clearly from the scriptures and this is this is where we have to be you know what do we what do we absolutely know and what is um what do we speculate on slightly that maybe isn't the most clear um because if it was the most clear it probably would not be as glorious as as it will be um we, we just um we're just not even going to be able to know all of all of how great it is, the intensity and the, um, yeah, just the, the, the greatness of what it will be mean to be, um, you know, in the, in new Jerusalem. But I think one aspect is that we will be with, with Jesus, like physical mm. Jesus. Um, he will be there. He will be, um, you know, kind of rule
0: ruling and reigning over, over the new Jerusalem. Um, and, it, and it's worth pointing out, um, we say this often, it's worth saying again, you know, when Jesus completed his work and ascended into heaven, he didn't like unzip a man suit and then return to heaven as he came or whatever. Um, He he ascended into into the heaven. I mean, May 21st, I'm pretty sure uh, May 21st is um, Ascension day where the church remembers that, that Jesus ascended into heaven as a, as a man, uh, a, Hmm. a body, a human body. Mm. 160 pounds of human DNA, Jewish human DNA, um, in God's presence right now, mm. um, I, and uh, in the the new heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem. I mean, that's the Jesus that we will we'll see—not some kind of spiritualized cloud. Um, yeah, the sun. It is it is physical, scar covered, um, fish eating Jesus. Mm.
1: So then we think about, you know, the Holy Spirit and the Father, from our perspective, is maybe a, is slightly less clear. Um, you know, the Spirit is able to take various forms. He takes the form of a dove at Jesus' baptism, takes the form of kind of tongues of fire in Acts 2. Um, so so it may be possible to, you know, see, see the Spirit in some unique way. Um, that we, we can't maybe quite see right now. Um, but I think one, one clear aspect is that the Holy Spirit will be there with us. Um, thinking about something like John 14, verse 16, and I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper um, or advocate or counselor to be with you forever, even the spirit mm-hmm. of truth. So this, this spirit, this helper, this counselor is, is going to be with us uh, forever. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll kind of, it's almost like the intensity level will be, will Mm. be different, um, that we'll, we'll dwell in God's presence through the spirit. We'll see, um, we'll, we'll see, you know, Jesus, Jesus in human, human form be in his presence. Um, but the intensity level of that, of what all of that means of what that will, I don't know, you feel like what that will uh, bring up within us, within our hearts and within our souls will mm. just be something so much greater than I think we can, um, can imagine. And honestly, probably we, we, we probably do need to be challenged on. We do have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us right now. Yeah, that's true. Really um, that's something I, I felt like Kenya really pushed Casey and myself on is just thinking about the work of the Spirit now. It is The Spirit is dwelling in us now. Um and we, in our more western you know literary um kind of logical thinking mindset, would not give as much um credit or whatever as a you know like a an african country a south American country that that has a little bit more kind of acknowledgement of just the spiritual realm um is we do have the spirit dwelling in us right now, and that is beyond amazing um, mm. but then that will be even just so much more intensified
0: mm. yeah you know one, one of the um I, I was kind of wrestling through this when i was teaching psalm 122 there's a couple of ways you can you could honestly kind of take and apply that passage and i chose to go go with the um the the fulfillment of so, so, you can kind of do a biblical theology of God's presence. You can begin in the garden, how God was walking uh, with Adam and Eve. Um, they were experiencing God. I think one thing to point out is that the, the Spirit has always been at play in God's work. The Spirit doesn't just make His, uh, it's his first appearance in Acts chapter 2. Um, I mean, Genesis 1, the Spirit is hovering over the waters. So, the Spirit is always a part of the biblical narrative, and the Spirit is always, um, I think, how humans experience God's presence, though there, it is important to point out that there is a substantive difference between the sort of enjoying God's Spirit prior to Pentecost and after Pentecost, because you know we're the church is now indwelt by the Spirit in a way that is is distinctly different than than prior. Um, But one of the things that I thought about and I guess all that to say, there's a couple of ways you can kind of take the the fulfillment of what's happening in psalm one twenty two and one of the things that I thought about was um, I mean I think it would be biblical for us to talk about the house of the Lord um, being the church now today. Uh, there is a sense in which we could talk about the church, not the church building. it's not as if the the church building and the temple are a one for one, but the people who are the church. Um, is, a, is a, a kind of a one-for-one one with the temple, the place where God dwells and the place where His glory is made known. And so I thought about kind of going that route, and that is how a lot of folks have taught and, and interpreted that passage. I, that's, that's the approach Charles Spurgeon takes in his commentaries to talk about the church, the, the body of Christ, the people in whom the Spirit dwells now as a kind of fulfillment of what's pictured there in Psalm 122. Um, <clears throat> and and so it is important I think to say, like you said, that there's a it's not a difference in kind. You know what we experience now God's presence is not a difference in kind with what we'll experience then, but it is a, a difference in intensity um, or clarity might even be a better way to say it. Um, you know Paul talks about what we see now we see through a glass dimly, and we're awaiting kind of a full revelation of. Of that on the other side of eternity, <clears throat> uh, God's the veil drops and God's glory may know us fully. Second um, Corinthians is a great place to go to just just read on uh, the weight of glory. Um, I mean, Second Corinthians four, verse sixteen: We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away; our inner self is being renewed day by day. God's God's at work in us day by day, renewing us. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Uh, As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is immortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Um, what I think is so much to be said about that. I love the idea that in eternity, you know, we're not unzipping our man suits, um, but we're, we're going to be further clothed. So what we experience in our physical, embodied, human existence now will be more real and in a way more physical than we've ever known before. We're further clothed. I think the great divorce CS Lewis makes the, he talks about the blades of grass in the new city being too sharp to walk on. It's like your feet have to acclimate to the, to, to how real that place we're going is. Um, it's an amazing imagery, but In verse five, the spirit is the guarantee of what is to come for us. The spirit is the, what we experience of the spirit now is it's hors d'oeuvres. It's a, it's a foretaste. It's a, it's a catching a whiff of what the cooking that's down the hallway. You know, it's a, um, it's just a teaser of what's to come. So what we experience Mm -hmm. now is a, uh, it's not different from what we'll experience then in kind, but very much so in intensity. That's really good. I just talked for a lot. You can talk now, here. <laughs> Dude, that's great.
1: I'm I'm happy to have you talk. You 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 got plenty of insights to give. The only the the only last thing I was thinking about was just uh, Revelation twenty one, um, verse three. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them as their God." And I was just reading. Um, a little commentary on that verse um, yesterday and just thinking about that the the temple, like this would have been mind-blowing because God usually dwells in a temple built by man at this time, you know, kind of first century, um, you know, ancient Near East. Um, the temples are going to have to be built. They're going to be built by man's hands. And that's where God is going to dwell. But then this is essentially saying like when, when all of this comes this new heaven and this new earth God is going to dwell with his people um, not not anything built not something built by humans it's just going to be God with his people and the spirit will um, you know be working in that um, the the father will will be there the son will um, have his have his physical his physical body so yeah it's almost mind-blowing. Um, but we will be in the presence of the Lord and, and the Spirit will, um,
0: will be mediating that. Mm. 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 Yeah, and, and, and G.K. Beale's got this great little book. Um, G.K. is a theologian, author, professor, guy at uh, Westminster, theological seminary, Presbyterian guy. He, he's got this book called um, God's Wells Among Us, and he basically traces... It's, it's a really accessible read um, for layperson, um, you know, pastor-like, but he kind of traces the theme of, of temple and God's presence throughout the entirety of the Bible. And one of the, one of the points that he makes out is that the temple the temple was intended and it's designed to recall Eden. And so in a way you kind of get that there's a sort of built-in, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, kind of like how an iPhone is supposed to expire is Isn't there like a conspiracy theory that I- iPhones are built to only last for a couple of years. So you will buy the new and upgraded edition.
1: That's right. They'll keep upgrading it so that yours can't work. And then
0: yeah. oculescence Is that the word I'm looking for? Uh, no, obsolescence. That's it. Um, there's like a, it's, there's like a built in, it'll, it'll be op- obsolete at some point. Um, and so like even in the temple, the fact that it recalls the garden, um, in its structure and in its design, there's very explicit references to Genesis uh, chapter two. It seems like there's kind of a built in obsolescence. Like it's going to be, we see that this thing's going to be obsolete eventually because it's, it's pointing to something greater than itself, that there's going to be a return, of course, a return and then some to, to the garden one day. Um, Hmm. And so a temple is not needed um, because the temple wasn't needed in the garden because God walked in the, the cool of the day with his people. And so once again, and then some, it'll it'll be the case. God dwelling with his people in the fullness of his presence. Hmm. uh, Forever and ever um, in a way that's beyond comparison and and in a way that evades words and and all that sort of thing. Um, It's really amazing to think about. That's great. Cool. Any other thoughts on any of this?
1: No, I, I just really appreciate um, both of both of these questions. Um, one, I appreciate a question on you know Psalm one twenty one that was a week ago, but clearly we've been thinking on it, dwelling upon it. Mm. That's kind of challenging to me, honestly. It's like I preached on it. And it's, how easy is it to kind of just move on to the next? Mm. Um, so encouraged by encouraged by that, um, and then yeah, encouraged by just wanting to be sure we're interpreting scripture with scripture. And yeah, doing doing the doing the hard work because it is hard. It's not. There's not easy. It's not all of this is easy. Um, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, that's such a good point. The for our listeners, I mean, a principle to to remember, and I love that the two questioners questioners both kind of exhibited this. Um, scripture is its best interpreter, and you know we always want to take the clear passages and try and shed light on the unclear passages with. The clear scriptures and always let scripture interpret scripture. Um, that's such an important reminder. And, and if you see, if you're reading your Bible and you see a word that reminds you of another passage, you know, don't assume that that's a coincidence, you know, or inc- incidental, or if there's a, a section of your Bible that reminds you of another section of your Bible, explore that, you know, that's a, that's a good thing to explore and, and practice and it's always helpful to use resources like blue letter Bible where you can go and actually click on this one word and see where this one word appears and other places Bible. I was doing that with the, the word mercy for the passage I'm teaching on Sunday just trying to get a, a better scope of how the Bible talks about mercy that's it it's a good thing to explore and it's something that anybody can do and uh, you know you don't have to have some kind of Bible degree to do that yeah, that's great cool Um well, I wish you all could see me and Aaron right now. Both of us are looking quite shaggy with our quarantine hair. Um, so thankfully, this is only an audio recording. Thankfully, this is this. That's the way it needs to be. Yeah, it's probably best if if our videos aren't on faces as much as we can make that happen.
1: Yeah, we need faces. to. We need we need to get the. Yeah, we got to get somebody cutting hair.
0: So yeah. Well, church, appreciate you listening. Hope this is helpful. Um, as always, please send us um, any follow-up questions you might have and, and really appreciate you guys listening and submitting questions on our pastor's talk talkback. Um, hope you guys have a, a good day. Hope you stay away from the murder hornets. And uh, we'll talk to you soon.